This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Breaking the Game Down Under. There's BTG Down Under, a fantastic Facebook group here in Australia. And they are the home of premium helmet and NFL merchandise breaks in Australia, where you can get authenticated quality items for just a fraction of their retail cost. I encourage all Vault Studio listeners and fans of the podcast to go check them out because they're breaking some awesome helmets on the regular basis there. And and, and guys and girls there are securing these amazing pieces, pieces of merchandise for their for their for their man cave, for their, you know, their offices, for their football watching rooms. Uh, some really nice looking equipment and, and rare pieces of equipment as well. So go and check those guys out. That's breaking the game down under facebook.com slash groups slash BTG down under. Welcome to another edition of the Vault Studio Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is James Cooney and I'm joined as always by my co-host who unfortunately didn't make the 53 men roster. It's Lewis Glover. I know. I, I really thought I was going to be pushing for for a spot this season, but but alas, the, the Patriots didn't didn't keep me around. So maybe I'll I'll kick around on the practice squad for a few weeks. Yeah, on the Dolphins one, they need they need some players. Look, I think anyone can get on the Dolphins squad at the moment. My goodness. Not even not Kenny Steele's though. No, yeah, definitely not Kenny Stills and uh, not Laramie Tunsil either. I know what a trade, humongous trade, lots of excitement and, and things going down at the the trade. Uh, sorry, the roster cut down deadline as the teams cuts cuts their fifty three. Lots of implications for you know the NFL as, as a you know more generally, particularly the Seahawks getting Jadavian Clowney and uh, assembling another ridiculously stacked defensive line. Do you want to quickly? Uh, talk about the uh, LaShawn McCoy uh, signing with the Chiefs? Yeah, I think we should definitely talk about it. Um, so obviously, yeah, we've all heard the news. He got cut. Lewis predicted it last on last week's show as well. Well done, Lewis. Thank you, thank you. And now he's uh, signed a $3 million for the Chiefs. Could be $4 million. And now our Damian Williams, Darwin Thompson sort of uh, analysis last week has gone out the toilet. Lewis, LaShawn McCoy, how's he going to fit in this offense? Look, I still think this is going to be Damian Williams' job to to lose i think he gets first bite at the cherry shady mccoy is well over the hill and i think andy reed wanted a veteran guy who he can turn to in a pinch if something someone gets injured he knows his system and this is this is about familiarity and experience mccoy was one of the the least efficient running backs in the league last season and yes he was running around behind one of the worst offensive lines in football but he was no better than Marcus Murphy and, and Chris Ivory. So you're just other jags behind that offensive line. So he didn't show anything that you would make him think that he's got much juice left in the tank. Having said that, going in the Chiefs offense is going to make anyone look considerably better. But I'd still think that Damian Williams is the running back you want to own. If anything, this just hurts Darwin Thompson as a sort of a late round sleeper because if anything happens to Williams, I think the you know the job will fall to LaShawn McCoy and McCoy will be used to spell Williams as well. So going to be a bit more of a, a timeshare than we first anticipated. But given Andy Reid's history, I think he's still going to use Williams, you know, probably 65, 70% of the running back touches with McCoy spelling him. And McCoy wants a ring. That's, that's what he's doing at this point in his career. And he's going somewhere where he can be comfortable. He knows the coach. He knows the system. And he's going to get a nice little payday along the way. 
Won't be getting a ring with the Chiefs, mate. Andy Reid can't win a big game. That's that is true. Um, but but Shady, you know, Shady thinks he can still do it. He sees what a great offense it is, and he's got a better chance of of, of doing it with with uh, Kansas City than he does with with Buffalo. Should have gone to the uh, Patriots. <sighs> the pa- the Patriots don't need him. That's all I say. Patriots can use any running back they can get, mate. They got no one. Excuse you. You you put some respect on Sony Michelle's name. No, I won't. Uh, anyway, so this week we will be doing the NFC, or this show we'll do the NFC West. Next show we'll be finishing off the NFC North. Um, but we'll get right into it. So four big teams this year. Um, it's a really good uh, sort of fantasy division. Um, we'll start off with the uh, the big one, Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, you said it. What a fantasy relevant division. There's just so many pieces going on here, and the Cardinals could be one of the most exciting teams to watch in football this season. At least, at least fun because. What we saw in the preseason from them is not the offense they're going to be running. This was just very much a get Kyler Murray out there and getting some snaps and throwing the ball. This was not Kingsbury's offense. He's going to have four wide receivers out on the field. Most of the time, they're going to be running an up-tempo offense. And so the panic that ensued, from, and when you know, especially when Kyler Murray had that bad game against Oakland, people were like, oh, no, this, he's, he's going to be terrible. He's too small, blah, 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 blah. No context whatsoever. It's going to look very different come week one against the Detroit Lions. And so if their ADP has been pushed down and you can get Kyler Murray cheaper, you can get David Johnson a little bit cheaper, full steam ahead, go and do it. Because I think this offense is going to be electric or at least going to be, you know, fantasy friendly. It might They might not win all the games that they need to, but they'll be chucking the ball a lot. Especially with a bad defense too. We've got Vance Joseph coming in as a defensive coordinator and he hasn't coached good defense in years or ever actually. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I expect them to be throwing a lot. Um, I guess you saw in their that sort of air raid system in college. Yeah, they, he loves to throw. He loves to go four, out, uh, four wide out too. So a lot of wide receivers in this offense are going to be fantasy relevant. Maybe some each week, but you know... you. It's going to be one of those t- times where you can have, yeah, you can, if you're rostering one of the five sort of Cardinals players, you're pretty happy with yourself. Because you've got yeah, Crabtree, you've got Fitzgerald, you've got Kirk, even the rookies, Keyshawn Johnson, Andy and Isabella. They're all going to be fantasy relevant this year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, focusing on Kyler Murray, first of all, his ADP right now is going as quarterback 13. The the number of rushing attempts he's going to have per game is is going to be great for fantasy. He's got that floor baked in, and he can throw. He's an incredibly accurate quarterback. He's going to have a bunch of receivers out on the field. They're going to be getting the ball out quickly as well to try and mitigate some of the issues with that offensive line and playing a ton from the shotgun as well. So those two those two things should be able to to mitigate how bad the offensive line will be. And as you mentioned, the defense is going to be atrocious. And not only that, they they lost Patrick Peterson for the first four or six six games of the season for a PED suspension. And Robert Alford is injured as well. These these guys have got barely got warm bodies at cornerback. The defense is not going to be good. It was awful last year. They made a few, you know, acquisitions, but nothing nothing to really move the needle. Terrell Suggs, great. He's fifty three years old. So nothing nothing is going to change dramatically from one season to the next on that for that defense, in my opinion. So the the effect is twofold. One, you have the, the game script implication, and then you have Kyle Kingsbury's history and inclination to, to throw the ball, you know, 70 times a game. The pace of play is going to be, you know, similar, if not faster, than what Chip Kelly was trying to do with the Eagles. And when you're running that many plays per game, 
it's great for fantasy purposes because it's just more opportunities uh, to, to score points. So I love Kyler Murray as ADP of quarterback 13. I think he exceeds that pretty comfortably. He'd be knocking on the door of a top top eight QB this season for me if all things go to plan. Yeah, especially you talked about his rushing ability. He's going to do a lot um, with that bad offensive line. And you saw Josh Allen last year when they sort of scramble out and passes. They're going to score a lot of points. Uh, I think that's going to help him too. They play six divisions which have great pass rushes. Though. Oh, sorry, six divisions. Six teams in their division um, that have great pass rushes. They play San Francisco who just upgraded the defensive line. They've got the Los Angeles Rams who have always got a great defense. And they are also playing the Seattle Seahawks who just traded for Jabani and Clowney. So, they're gonna, he's going to be running a lot. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he um, sort of deals with defenses at Blitz because you saw off the Raiders in that preseason two game, he, didn't, he struggled a bit. But then again... Yeah, they weren't showing their full offense, so you, you just never know. I do love Kalamaro this year. Um, I expect him, yes, even pushing his sort of top five. I see in that kind of year. I've got him yep. in a few few leagues, and yeah, I'm really, really liking Kalamaro this year. Absolutely. And per, if you're investing in QBs, you know, sort of early, particularly in super flex leagues, Kalamaro is a guy I like to grab as my, my QB too because of where his price is going, and particularly with the, the later dip. And the same could be said for David Johnson. I'm a huge fan of, of David Johnson this season. Um, you know, Kyle, Kyle, oh, excuse me, Kyle, Cliff Kingsbury has a history of, of using running backs in the passing game as well. His offenses at Texas Tech got running backs involved all of the time, and he made pedestrian running backs, you know, like DeAndre Washington, look like absolute world beaters, particularly in the box score, churning up yardage. So I think he's going to have absolutely huge year, and it's not outside of the range of outcomes that he ends up with 100, 100 receptions, partially because he's going to be there at the outlet for, for Kyler Murray. If he does, if the offensive line does struggle, is the the nice easy option there, the check down for him. He will line up at the slot at times, and you know Kingsbury's an an incredibly creative offensive coach, and he wants to get the best players the ball. And he's already spoken at length throughout the offseason and preseason about him, how integral David Johnson is going to be to his offense. So all arrows pointing up for for DJ. Uh, and, and as you mentioned earlier, same for Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. I think both of those receivers are startable on a weekly basis. And if you're looking for upside, particularly in uh, you know daily fantasy uh, tournaments uh, or best ball leagues with a late flyer, Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson are, are worth a late round flyer as well. In terms of you know weekly roster management type situations, you're probably not going to feel confident starting them outside of much deeper leagues. But but with Kyler Murray, David Johnson, Larry Fitz, and Christian Kirk, there's four very fantasy-relevant players, in my opinion. I do like David Johnson, but more in PPR. I don't think he's able to rush as well as he used to. The, the line's just terrible, as we've spoken about. But I do think Cliff will use him in creative, uh, creative ways. Um, I think they're going to get the ball to him a lot, especially in passing downs. Uh they ranked Texas Tech ranked uh, tenth overall in FBS teams in receptions per game to the running back. So, I think they're going to use him a lot like that. I don't think they'll be rushing particularly well. You've talked about Christian Kirk. I, I am high on him, but I don't know why people sleep on Larry Fitzgerald. Currently, right now, he's going very late. He's going that sort of hundred range. Because he old. He old, but he's only two years away. Uh, two years past that. Not two. Uh, two years since he was wide receiver four. Three years wide receiver eight, four years wide receiver ten. So he's old, but he's still good. He's oh, still and the it. role he's going to be asked to to do as well. He's just going to be getting open in short areas and, and catching the ball. And I completely agree with you. He's being uh, very undervalued this season. I own a lot of Larry Fitzgerald this year, and even Michael Crabtree too. He's another guy who's getting undrafted, even though he signed a couple of weeks ago. He's a guy that last year with Lamar, uh, Lamar Joe Flacco that 
had an okay year. He was wide receiver 31 in weeks one to nine. So he wasn't terrible. He was sort of a flex play. And obviously when Lamar came, obviously every wide receiver in that uh, Baltimore Ravens team just went to shit. And now that he's with Kyle Murray, he's going to see a lot of balls, especially red zone targets. And he's just going to be a guy that's going to be targeted a lot. And I really like Michael Crabtree, especially on the waiver wire this year. Yeah. Look, he's someone to keep an eye on because there's going to be enough volume to support multiple fantasy assets. So definitely worth over the first few weeks of the season, keeping an eye on the target distributions and the snap share of the different wide receivers uh, to see whether he's going to be be worth a, a preemptive pickup. So, you know, and maybe the first two weeks, his involvement trends up. We'll just we'll just have to wait and see. But they felt they needed some help there uh, after Hakeem Butler went to IR and he should be out for the for the entire season, unfortunately. So, yeah, lots to like about this offense. The one thing I will say about David Johnson in terms of, of rushing the football, I don't think it's as all doom and gloom as last year. I mean, the way he was used last, last season was just borderline a criminal offense. It was just get the ball and, and run up the middle behind the center into the into the a gap there it's just it was just horrible and that's what not what david johnson is good at um and i anticipate kingsbury to to get creative and and get him carrying the ball you know not right up into the arse of the center and, and and get some some uh some zone running going some stretch plays as well so hopefully but and particularly particularly with the opposing defenses having to be spread out because of the four wide looks constantly that should open some holes as well but but definitely uh, in agreeance that his value is just from his 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 ceiling is because of the the value in PPR that he will have with the receptions. Mm. We'll move on now. We don't need to talk about tight ends because Charles Carter hasn't been relevant in years. Um, let's go to the LA Rams. Won the, made the Super Bowl last year. Um, sort of struggled against the uh, Patriots defense, and uh, now we're going to sort of year three under uh, Sean McVay and Jared Goff, who's had a terrible rookie season, played well in his first uh, couple of seasons after that. Struggling in the Super Bowl. Um, is it something signs that kind of defense has sort of worked him out or is he still going to be sort of fantasy relevant? No, I think in the offense, he's still going to be fantasy relevant. I think the Super Bowl, everyone, you know, the inexperienced team got the got the yips and didn't quite work out. I mean, you know, short, Sean McVay probably struggled with, with some of his play calling and Goff struggled with some of the throws as well. But the Patriots defense was excellent. So, we give Belichick over two weeks to game plan for an offense. It's it's going to cause them problems. So I don't think that should be a reflection on Goff as you know forecasting for this season. I will say though, at quarterback eight, he's getting close to being pretty overdrafted for me, just because he doesn't have a a real rushing floor built in there, and you're relying on this offense to be continue to be as explosive and dynamic as it was last season. And I still think it will be a very good offense. I think the reduction of Todd Gurley's usage and potentially in the passing game, because that was a huge factor for, for Jared Goff last season, might hurt him a little bit. I still think he's a lower in quarterback one. But given the, just the depth of quarterback this year in, in, in redraft leagues and the upside of some of the guys going much later, uh, I have to pass on Jared Goff. I, I still like him in dynasty, particularly super flex leagues. But, but Jared Goff as a redraft asset, I've got to be out on it as, as price of, of QB8. Yeah, I just don't see him being anything better than he was last year. Like, I don't think he can be as good as, say, a Carson Wentz or as a Baker Mayfield who are still unproven, not unproven, but, you know, the potential is much more better than Jared Goff is. And that's why I'd rather be targeting them than sort of Jared Goff, who I think we've seen the best of him. Yeah, I mean, I think right now you're drafting him close to his ceiling. And so 
there's other there's other quarterbacks you can wait on a little bit outside the top 100 who I think are far away from hitting their ceiling yet. So that's that's my concerns with Jared Goff. I wouldn't even call them concerns. It's just you know not great not great strategy to be coming in and drafting a guy who isn't going to return much extra value for you. Um, someone who I do think can return much more value than where he's being drafted though is Todd Gurley. Now the... I don't think we need to talk about how good Todd Gurley is. No, I think we need to talk about how he's going to use and how. Are you going to dra- be drafting him in your sort of plan with him? So I've drafted him in a couple of leagues in the second rounds, and uh, uh, to me that's stealing. I'll take Todd Gurley in the mid to late second round all day long. I still think he's going to finish as a, a running back one. What he did last season was just ridiculous. Even if they reduce some of his involvement, I, you know, I still think there's a good workload for him there. The offensive line is one of the best in football. They opened up so many holes for him. I mean, he was him and CJ Anderson. You know, they were a product in part of that offensive line. I mean, Todd Gurley, it, it was charted by, uh, I want to say, Samuel Gold, who does the film room breakdowns on, on YouTube. And he attributed about 70% of the rushing yards that Todd Gurley had to the offensive line because they're opening holes that anyone could go through. And that was proven correct when CJ Anderson came and ran through the same holes, a guy who was on his third team and been signed off the street. Todd Gurley's a great running back and he's very talented. But the offense and the way that Sean, Sean McVay schemes it and the talent of the offensive line just means that there's going to be holes for Todd Gurley to run through. And even if they do manage his snap count a little bit, particularly in games where they're, they're up big, they might turn to Malcolm Brown, they might turn to Darrell Henderson, he's still going to have scored points to get them into that position. So maybe his, his, his ceiling is capped somewhat, but there still should be plenty of touchdown opportunities for him. Uh, yeah, and he's he's great at doing that. He's one of the best backs in the league around the goal line and inside the red zone because of his his versatility and the the different looks that it gives the offense and split him out wide, uh, different different uh, play action situations. So Todd Gurley, I think, will remain ha- having his usage usage there. I think it's if the Rams get up big and they're ahead in the fourth quarter. I think that's how they start to manage him and and, and pull him from there and and look to lean on on Malcolm Brown and Darrell Henderson. See, I don't want any part of Todd Gurley this year. Really? Here is why. They've talked a lot about managing or load management. It's the sort of term that they stole off sort of Kawhi Leonard um, last year. They're using that term where they're going to sort of ease him into it and sort of rest him so he's right for the playoffs like he wasn't last year. Now, all that's telling me is that they're not going to play him in the last few weeks of the the season. They're going to probably clinch the division pretty early and they're probably going to think, you know what, we don't need to play Todd Gurley in sort of weeks 15, 16, 17. We're going to manage his load. And he's just not going to be there for the playoffs. They're going to rely on Daryl Anderson and Malcolm Brown, who, as we saw last year with CJ Anderson, they can just just be as good um, without him. So I don't want any part of Todd Gurley this year. I'm just too concerned about him not being for where I want him to be in the fantasy playoffs. I, I don't care if he's the number one running back from weeks one to 12. I want him to be the number one running back that he, that he was a couple of years ago winning championships with teams. And I don't think he's going to do that for me this year. Well... Few things there. One, give me all those points and take me to the playoffs. And as we're getting close, if that's the inc- in, like looking like it could be the case, make sure you get a waiver claim in for for Malcolm Brown. You know, a few weeks out, plan ahead for that. That see that to me, that's a problem solved. Or trade Gurley away to someone who you know isn't isn't as sharp and doesn't think that's going to be the case. But B, I th- I don't think they're going to have that luxury. Teams struggle 
consistently struggle. It's this classic Super Bowl hangover. And whilst I do think McVay's a very good coach, and it's obviously a very good roster, I don't think they're going to be waltzing to a ten and zero start and 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 clinching the division from from far you know weeks remote weeks away from the from the start of the playoffs. I think this is a team that's going to have to earn their spot in the playoffs. And for that for them, they believe that Todd Gurley is a is a major part of that. So that's that's a that's a future problem and i know you want to switch you know win win championships and, and play for the playoffs but you've also got to get there and todd Gurley can help you get there and you know from weeks week nine or ten onwards you can get, you go, go and grab malcolm brown and carry him as a handcuff from that point go sort him out or trade for darrell henderson but uh yeah i i, I like todd Gurley as a value I'm, I'm more than happy to to draft him go for it well i've already got malcolm brown on a few of my team so i've already carried him waiting for that opportunity to rise mate so yeah i mean i will quickly say as well uh, Malcolm Brown is the handcuff to, to Todd Gurley. Darrell Henderson's a change of pace, different look kind of guy. But if something happens to Gurley or they decide to rest him for a game, Malcolm Brown is going to get first bite at that workload. That's uh, that's something I'm convinced of. Yeah, that's the uh, word around the camp. Adam Schefter reported that a few weeks ago as well. So Malcolm Brown will be that guy. Sort of they want to rest Gurley or yeah, sort of give him games off. I think Malcolm Brown will be the workhorse. And as we said, Daryl Henderson will be sort of that relief change of pace guy who's going to get about 10, 15 touches a game with Gurley playing. And he sort of skyrocketed um, draft boards heaps. He, I think he was, wasn't getting drafted. Then, in couple, uh, then the start of preseason, he was going the 80th. So uh, are you going to be drafting any Daryl Henderson this year? Uh, no, not, his price is just skyrocketing too much. I had a couple, couple of, of shares early on in leagues that drafted earlier. But, you know... I think I've got one one more draft left, and I had one this week. I don't have have any Darrell Henderson in in my more, my more recent drafts. There you go. Uh, yeah, I won't be da- drafting Darrell Henderson either. I just yeah, I just don't see him being f- sort of relevant for where he's being drafted. I rather go like Larry Fitzgerald in that position where I know I'm going to get great value. Even a, I'm even predicting uh, Larry Fitzgerald be wide receiver twelve this year, top twelve. Oh. Wow, that's 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 very bold on Fitzgerald, but uh, I I agree with Henderson, right? He might have some some big weeks, a few breakaway plays. Maybe they get involved in on a on a screen screen or a wheel wheel route, and he takes it to the house. So that's what you're sort of hoping for, but I just don't see it happening on a on a regular basis. They have three very good wide receivers too. They've got Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Brandon Cooks, basically going all at the same time. I think Brandon Cook's wide receiver 13, Rob Woods wide receiver 15, Cooper Cup wide receiver 17. Who out of this wide receiver group do you like the best? Brandon Cooks. I think he's the best wide receiver. I think he's got the most diverse skill set and he's got the highest ceiling as well. I love Brandon Cooks. One of the most under underappreciated, uh, you know, under-respected, if, if that's a word, under uh, wide receivers in the NFL. All he does is put up 1,000-yard seasons. And he's a tremendous touchdown threat. I, I've got plenty of Brandon Cooks in best ball, but he's but he's consistent as well. You know, people have this: oh, he's boom bust. He'll go go off one week, go off go off, you know, and knock off the other. It's not actually the case. He's he's more consistent, uh, you know, than than people would lead on. More often than not, he finishes as a top twenty four wide receiver on a given given week at worst, a wide receiver three. So he's not tanking your team if he's particularly if he's your wide receiver two. And where he's going in drafts right now. You know, around the 40 mark, you can get him as the third selection on your team and have him as your wide receiver too. And he's he's a perfect type of perfect wide receiver too for me be, because of that ability to win you a week. And if it goes 
he has a bit of a quieter one and then he gets you know three catches for 40 yards he still doesn't kill your week either so big fan of brennan cooks and if i'm not getting him i'm i'm, I'm liking cooper cup because he's the cheapest of the three yeah, it's basically a coin flip between all three, really. Um, they both, both all three of them, sorry, finished similarly with points per game because obviously Cooper Cup did his ACL um, week 11. Um, yeah, either three of them I'll be taking around that sort of 45, 47 mark. Um, not really yeah, much difference. They're all going to sort of have their weeks where they're going to be, um, be better than one another. But in reality, yeah, if you have one of these guys, you're going to be really happy yourself. Yeah, and one thing for, for Cooper Cup as well, he might be my favorite of the bunch in, be, because of his price. He is slightly cheaper than the rest of them. And so where that definitely factors into to making a decision. Uh, but his red zone usage was tremendous last year. He had had multiple touchdowns. He was extensively in the red zone uh, where, the, where the other receivers weren't. And so that definitely adds to his, his ceiling. And also we all saw what the offense looked like when he wasn't playing. Jared Goff seemed to struggle without having Cooper Cup there. One thing I will say as well is that the Rams ran in the 11 personnel 90% of the time last season. And then in the last couple of weeks of the regular season into the playoffs, that, that rate dropped and they started to use some more 12 personnel as well. Now, because of that, and they have one less wide receiver on the field, I don't think it's ever going to be Brandon Cooks. I think he's going to be out there constantly because he he's offers the most and he stretches the field. I'm trying to work out whether it's going to be Cooper Cup or Robert Woods who would you know, come off in 12 personnel situations. And honestly, I'm leaning leaning to it being Robert Woods just because of how reliable and good Cup was coming out of the slot there. But it could go either way. Maybe maybe they rotate uh, in, in and out if, when they're in 12 personnel. I really don't know. But that's, that's one quote-unquote concern that I might have about them. Uh, I don't think it's a concern. I think all three of them are going to be used sort of similarly. Um, I guess you've got to do a bit of your research there, Lewis, and really get your 12 person now and see what they did last year. Should have done that before the show. <laughs> or it's just such a small sample size that you can't put too much weight in it. Yeah, that's true. Um, you did speak about their tight ends. They're sort of, obviously, they're going to be streaming options at best. Um, I know Everett had his two big games last week and sort of Tyler Higby's a sort of blocking tight end. So... They're going to be. They're going to have their big game. So I would keep an eye on them, especially against good matchups. Um, especially Everett, who's the better pass catcher. Yeah, I mean, if they do go towards more twelve personnel and get that involved a little bit more, then the the tight ends get a, a little bit more value there as well. So because one of obviously one of them becomes a, a pass ca- catching option in place of one of the one of the receivers, and the 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 question is whether the 12 personnel was an adjustment because of the injury to Gurley and the loss of Cup, or whether that's something that they wanted to do. And they have been running it a bit at camp as well. So it's really hard to tell. And that's, you know, we'll have to wait for, for week one, week two to get a, you know, an idea of how that personnel grouping is going to look for the rest of the season, whether McVeigh is going to come out and continue to, to run everything out of 11 or whether there will be a, you know, a bit more diversity there. Just have to wait and see. Wait and see. The Seattle Seahawks, who are under second-year offensive quarterback Brian Schottner, who installed a, a running-based attack, and they led. They were the only team that ran the ball more than they threw the ball, and that does not bode well for Russell Wilson, who had a career low in pass attempts, a career low in rushing attempts per game as well. Obviously, because they went passing, couldn't scramble as much. He also didn't score a rushing touchdown last year, which is a bit surprising. Um, how do you think Russell Wilson's going to go this year under this uh, second year with Brian? 
Look, I, I'm out at, on Russell Wilson at his ADP of QB9 right now. Uh, I drafted him on the weekend, but he fell uh, much later than that, and he's only a 10-team league with one QB, so there's a, uh, I might be swapping him out on the waiver wire anyway. But I have him ranked for about QB13 this season. Last season, his touchdown rate was 8.2%. His efficiency was just absolutely absurd. Uh, just for some context, that's tied for the 11th highest rate of all time in the NFL. So really a historical season for Russell Wilson. As you mentioned, Cooney, he had the fewest rushing attempts of his career. And again, he had fewer because of the fewer dropbacks, there were fewer scrambles, which is which contributed to that. Adds on to the fact that the wider wide receiver core might be the thinnest in the NFL. And it's really hard to justify taking Russell Wilson as your one QB in you know in fantasy drafts this year. Now in Superflex, it's a, you know you, you need that you need a you know at least one good starting QB, and I think he will still be serviceable. So you might you it, the, the argument to getting him there is a little bit a little bit stronger. But in one QB, uh, if he's going around that nine ten mark, it's hard to uh, hard to justify grabbing him. Although I will say they do have a nice week one matchup against the Bengals. They do indeed. He sort of broke a lot of records of his touchdowns too. Obviously, career and pass attempts, but he threw for thirty five touchdowns. He only threw, he threw for less than 3,500 uh, yards as well. So, don't know how it's going to go from this year. He finished QB9 last year. Uh, I expect him to sort of regress a bit. I expect him sort of QB12, QB13 around there. I think guys like Baker Mayfield and sort of uh, Josh, no, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson sort of going to um, go in front of him. Uh, I'm out of him too. Don't really want to own a piece of him, especially now Doug Baldwin's gone. Um, there's no yeah really reliable pass catches in that offense. DK Metcalf's just a burner. So is Tyler Lockett. There's not many wide receivers I like apart from one guy we'll talk about soon. Who you're gonna be uh gonna be interested in hearing? A bit of a surprise for you, Lewis. Interesting. Well, I'll uh, I'll come in right there when we're talking about wide receivers and say I absolutely love Tyler Lockett this season. I think he's gonna ball out and have a an absolute monster season. Um. I uh, see. I think that's where he's going to be. I think that's as good as he was last year. I think that's what he's going to be this year. I, I think he's. Me, I, so. Yeah, I think he'll do even better, and I think he'll have more targets, and obviously he'll take a dip in efficiency. But running from the slot, he's going to be getting you know prime matchups each week, and he's going to be the the main outlet for for Russ Wilson when they go to pass. So I'm all all on Tyler Lockett this season. Um, I'm happy where he's going. He's sort of going. Uh, Wide receiver six, uh, sorry, wide receiver eighteen at the moment, and he finished wide receiver sixteen. So that's perfectly rated for him. Um, going that forty three mark, I do like sort of the the St Louis guys better than him. Um, but yeah, where he's getting drafted right now, I can't sort of argue with that. But just not sort of thinking he can be any anything better though. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, wide receiver eighteen is a is a fair price for him. But I definitely can can see him. You know, on a, on a on any given week. Really breaking into the to the top twelve, and then at the end of the season, finishing around that that 14, 14, 15 mark. I mean, last season he ran on the routes he ran from the slot. Russell Wilson had a perfect passer rating. Like those guys, just it just worked so well together uh, with him running out of the slot, uh, hyper efficient. As I mentioned, you expect that to come down for Russell Wilson, and so you have to project that to come down for Lockett. But you know, Doug Baldwin didn't have a huge role last season, but he was definitely used in the slot. And so with, with some targets being available, and I also don't see the Seahawks being able to be quite so run-heavy last season. I know they're going to be 
still the most or one of the most run-heavy teams in football. But I do think a little bit of volume will, will, will increase for, for Wilson. Not much, but just, just enough to, to offset any efficiency concerns, particularly for Lockett. But there's, there's no other wide receivers on the team that I'm particularly, particularly interested in. Yeah, DK Metcalf, who sort of skyrocketed uh, ADP before he went down with the, uh, was it knee injury? Yeah, uh, small knee injury. Yeah, small knee injury, sort of falling down now. He's going to draft at 128. Are uh, you only any of them this year? No, I mean, worth keeping an eye on on the waiver, particularly if the Seahawks show that they're throwing the ball a little bit more this season. But like I, like I said, outside of, of Lockett and, and Chris Carson, who we'll talk a bit more about shortly, I, I don't particularly fancy anyone else on the offense. Mm-hmm. There was yeah, two wide receivers I want to talk about. David Moore, obviously, he went down for hairline fracture in his uh, shoulder. Appears to be coming back earlier than expected. Uh, he's another guy that sort of can uh, take away uh, sort of ball wins targets. He had there's 36 up for grabs, and this one guy who I really like this year, Lewis, seventh round pick out of Hawaii, John Ursa. Yeah, yeah. There's been a little bit of buzz about him. I'm loving him. I saw a few preseason games. I'm all about him. You know how I love you know that sort of underdog, you know seventh round underdrafted sort of guy. He's my guy this year. He's I, your Philip Lindsay of 2019. He's my Philip Lindsay of 2019. He's yeah, new, I just, the new Doug Baldwin. The new Doug Baldwin. The new Doug Baldwin is Tyler Lockett. That's 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 the problem for for Ursula. He's a slot guy, and and Tyler Lockett's got that slot job all all tied up. There's a slot on the other side of the field, Matt. What's that? There's another slot on the other side of the field. Yeah, it's not when they're in a super run heavy formation, uh, I, 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 which we expect them to be. I, you know. Just watch out for him, Lewis. I'm telling you. Yeah, all right. We'll, we'll watch out for him. And I'm going to go out and say that he won't get more than five receptions in a single game all season. You're up for that. That's that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a done deal. Thank you, sir. Put that on the bet board. Bet board. You've been listening to many fantasy football focus podcasts. Yeah, well, I, I do enjoy that show, but the beer bet board. The beer bet board? We've got a white, beer bet board. We've got a whiteboard here in the Vault Studio. Yeah, we should actually write them up there. We should. We should. We could get, get J.A. onto oh, that. We'll, we'll get the bitch onto it. You've uh, talked about Chris Carson. Um, sort of un, uh, it's a bit surprising last year that he was the leading back, even though they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round last year. That killed me. I'm just going to go out there and say I completely whiffed on Rashad Penny. I was so high on him. And I thought Rashad Penny was going to do what Chris Carson did last year. That's what I was anticipating. It just went to the wrong guy. That's... Yeah. Yeah, some calls, some calls you you win, some calls you lose, and what Chris Carson did last year, I was totally anticipating for Rashad Penny. Yeah, so Chris Carson finished last year as running back number fifteen. Um, had a very good year, obviously. But under Brian Schottenheimer last year, the Seahawks are the only team, obviously, to run the ball than they pass, and especially on first and second down, they ran it sixty-one percent of the time. Even when they're up, sort of three points, they ran it uh, three points or more. They ran it sixty-one percent of the time. So there's going to be a lot of running. Uh, in this offense and it's going to bode well for Chris Carson and I do see Rashad Penny being fantasy relevant too he's absolutely could, could be a flex starter uh, there's going to be a lot more targets and sort of carries now that Mike Davis is gone he had about uh, I think it was 160 touches last year so they're all up for grabs and owning either one of these guys is going to be really good for you yeah I completely agree with that Chris Carson has been horribly undervalued because of the volume he's going to get, the assured volume he's going to get, we know what Schottenheimer wants to do. I mean, the fact that they were so run heavy on first and second down, really, Brian Schottenheimer should be executed in public for 
such a crime as wasting Russell Wilson's abilities. Hey, let's have the highest paid quarterback in the league. Now, I know he wasn't then, but one of the best quarterbacks in the league as well and run the ball on first and second down and take the ball out of the hands of Russell Wilson. Anyway, that aside, Chris Carson is going to get a top five, top eight workhorse-like volume this season. They've talked about wanting to get him involved a bit more in the passing game. Uh, so that should really raise his ceiling. The volume is going to be there. And as you mentioned, about 160 touches vacated from Mike Davis. He's in Chicago now. And so Rashad Penny could be the beneficiary of you know a majority of those touches. This could be a, a two-back, two, uh, quote-unquote, committee. Chris Carson with 60%, 65 Rashad Penny, the remainder. And because the volume is, is so high running the football, that means both of them are going to be very fantasy relevant. And one thing I will say is similar to a Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray type situation, Rashad Penny is more than a handcuff in his own right. But if something happens to Chris Carson, he goes down. And we know he's had durability concerns throughout his first two NFL seasons. Rashad Penny walks into arguably the biggest workload in the NFL. And he's, you know, he can handle the workload. He had a you know, couple of injuries last season. Uh, one was a fractured finger, which held him out. And then he was also, you know, out of shape and out of weight. He wasn't, wasn't a great rookie. He seems to have learned, learned from that. And so I think he'll be equipped in, in a right situation to take over a large work, workload if something were to happen to Chris Carson. But as you correctly mentioned, Cooney, there's standalone value for, for both of these guys. And round 90 overall, I, I like Rashad Penny. The only problem with Chris Carson now is that everyone's sort of on him. He was sort of going really late in sort of the fourth round. Now he's getting drafted in your late seconds, early third. Yeah, his, his value's a bit shot there. I'm not not a big fan of him there, but I was a lot higher than him earlier in the year. Um, I prefer Rashad Penny, yeah, especially at that 90 range. If Carson goes down, he isn't the most in uh, you know healthy running back in the world. So I prefer Rashad Penny at that 90 range. Yeah, def- definitely a, a, an attractive uh, attractive value there, and you know. Hang, hang on to Rashad Penny, that's for sure. The last team, my guys, the San Francisco 49ers. Your guys, your your second team. Now, Lewis, are you are you panicked with Jimmy G yet? Nope. You're not panicked? Not panicked. Really? No, not, not panicked. I think he's a good quarterback. I think we've seen just enough from him to know that he's a, a good quarterback, and I think he's, you know, knocking the rust off coming back from his... Uh, from his ACL injury. Not scared of the uh, reported five interceptions in a row during training camp? That's okay. Remember when Patrick Mahomes was throwing interceptions left, right, and center? Certainly not comparing the two, but that's where you want players to be throwing interceptions, you know, learning from those mistakes, pushing themselves, uh, seeing what they can go on. And he's got a lot of new weapons to work with. So that's the time that they should be building those chem- that, that chemistry. I'd rather see or read about five interceptions in camp than see five interceptions in a game. I'm with you. I'm not panicked either. I would never be panicked with my man Jimmy G. In his eight, ga- you know, his eight games with full of forty nines, he's second in yards per attempt behind Patrick Mahomes. I did not know that. That is a very nice statistic. I, I enjoy that. Even though he, he said he's bad preseason, he's bad training camp. He's still under the tutelage of Kyle Shanahan, who always coaches up a good a good offense, especially quarterbacks. You saw with Matt Ryan in twenty seventeen. You saw with even Brian Hoy in twenty fourteen. He had his good year in Cleveland. So of uh, uh, Robert Griffin III in Washington too. He always coaches a good quarterback. He even saw if Nick Mullins and CJ Beffer last year were actually fantasy relevant. And Jimmy G is yeah. much more talented than them. Absolutely. So he's going as the QB 21 right now in ADP. It's laughable. It's laughable because so 
you take the combined fantasy output of the little bit of Jimmy G we had, CJ Beathard and Nick Mullins, that's the QB 16. That's a Frankenstein QB 16. Who led the 49ers uh, wide receivers in targets last year? Who was that? Who was in a wide receiver one? Uh, I wouldn't say wide receiver one, maybe George Kittle. Well, oh, yeah, so he led the team in targets, but in terms of wide receivers, Kendrick Bourne was the wide receiver with the most targets on the team. So yeah. just gave you a bit of an idea what he was working with. And, you know, going back to 2017, Brian Hoyer, CJ Beathard, and then the back end of Jimmy G after he was was traded would have been the QB 14. And Carlos Hyde led the team in receptions that year. So Shanahan gets the absolute best of the players he has there. I'm not concerned about Jimmy G. We've seen George Kittle break out. They know what a monster they have there. Want Dante Pettis to take that step forward in year two. They went and got him Debo Samuel. They had got Tevin Coleman, who's a very good pass catcher and familiar with the with the uh, Shanahan offense. Marquise Goodwin, who is a you know schemed correctly, can be a matchup nightmare. And they, I know they want to get the ball in his hands and use him almost like a uh, one of the beat reporters said, like Taylor Gabriel, and they used him in, in Atlanta. So not anticipating huge volume for him, but getting the ball in his hands and, and letting his athletic ability make plays. So. I'm excited about Jimmy G. Where he's going now is laughable. Enjoy. Go and buy Jimmy G at a discount because people are panicked and I, I'm really not. Yeah, get heaps of Jimmy G this year. Well, probably everyone's drafted this year, but you know, trade for him. Give up nothing yeah. for him. Well, get him on the waiver wire. He could yeah. be there. In fact, Especially there's a in a 10-team, one QB, QB league, maybe even 12-team, he's probably on the waiver wire. So, you know, week one, just FYI, he's going up against Tampa Bay Buccaneers got one of the worst defenses in the NFL. That's going to be a nice big shootout. So Jimmy G week one, sneaky DFS play uh, with a couple of other of these Tampa, uh, excuse me, San Francisco receivers sprinkled in there. Really like Jimmy G week one. And I think then his price will be like, oh, that's right. Jimmy G's in a Shanahan offense and they're going to score. So um, really like Jimmy G. And as I'll note for... You know, for George Kittle, but really for the entire offense, they're due some touchdown, positive touchdown regression as well. Because they had, you know, one of the highest teams in total yardage uh, last season, uh, but their touchdown output didn't didn't uh, match up with that. They just weren't finishing inside the red zone. And of course, that's a problem when you've got different QBs each week. You've got piecemeal or rookie wide receivers, and you're trying, you know, not all on the same page, but Shanahan was was getting them moving the ball up and down the field. They just had to settle for field goals a lot of the time. So expect that to change in 2019 as well. I will we'll talk about the wide receivers, um, but first let's talk about the running backs. Let's do it. Let's do it. Shanahan loves to use the uh, running back in his offense. You saw with the sort of Atlanta a couple of years ago when they had Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman. They had the running back five and running back 18. I expect not running back five and 18, but I expect them both to be in that sort of top 12 range. I love Matt Breed this year. I love Tevin Coleman this year. Obviously, Tevin Coleman's been there uh, for a pass catching back and obviously Breed is going to be the sort of um, more sort of running style back. I love Top 12. Top 12 for both of them. Now, that is bold. That is very bold. I, I'm, That's, I'm, loving, I'm loving I, I, You might, you might if, see, you know, on a weekly basis, one that I, I can't see both of them finishing the season as top 12. Uh, you'll see it, Lewis. I don't, I don't think we will. You'll see around the top 12 then. You'll see around the top 12. <laughs> so, or like both, both inside the top twenty-four. Both inside the top twenty-four. Um, when Coleman was at Atlanta, he had obviously his best year in 26, uh, 20, 2017, Sorry, average four point yards a carry on outside zone runs and 
Carl Shannon loves to use the outside zone. Loves to. Posted career highs in targets, receptions, yards, and catch rate with Kyle Shanahan. And right now, he's getting drafted in that sort of 60 range. Give me all the Tevin Coleman you got. I'm loving him yeah, this year. I agree. I, I like Tevin Coleman this year. Um, and, and, and Matt Brader's a great cheaper option as well. His ADP is, is rising. But as you mentioned, Coleman's been fantasy relevant in a timeshare before, two seasons, in fact. I do like what he has to offer in the passing game. Even if it comes down to a 50-50 split for these two, I like both of them at their ADP. Jarrett McKinnon, RIP, he's dead. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, poor dude, it looks like he could be headed back to IR. He is on IR now. He is on IR, there we go. Um, is on IR, so RIP his fantasy season. Uh, he'll probably be cut later on in the year or at the end of the season by the Niners, and we can all forget about Jarrett McKinnon, mm. sadly. Um, but for these two, Coleman and Brader, yeah, I love love both of these guys this season. Not quite as bullish as you are, but I, I think, you know, Coleman can be a top 16 and Brader can just be a, you know, a late RB2. And I think if anything happens to either one of them as well, you've got a, a wonderful workhorse back opportunity. All of, yeah, so four straight seasons, uh, Kyle Shanahan's uh, running backs have finished in the top 10 in yards per scrimmage and in top 12 in touches per game. So... They're yeah, we know when, we know what we're getting out of Shanahan's running backs. Exactly. Um, we'll talk about the wide receivers who are a bit not as uh, bullish on. We've got a lot of them here. We've got Dante Pettis, we've got Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, Jalen Hurd even, Trent Taylor. Out of those sort of five guys, who do you like the best? Look, going to have to go with Dante Pettis. He showed some nice stuff last season. Uh, great athlete, was a phenomenal punt returner in college, which is... You know, has a nice correlation to wide receiver success in the NFL, and he showed off some of those elusive skills. He's being roasted by Kyle Shanahan and being, to, you know, he needs to work more and do more and, and all this, and playing him in, you know, in the fourth quarter and really not treating him like the star and wide receiver. From all reports, that is just a motivational tactic. Whether that's the right one to take, I don't know, but I'm also not an NFL head coach. So, you know, Shanahan's believes that's what he needs to do but Pettis is very much the considered the wide receiver one there not I I do like Debo Samuel as a dynasty prospect but he's going you know you know about 40 spots after Dante Pettis for for a reason in my opinion Pettis's price rose massively during the offseason and as people have started to panic on Jimmy G and how poor the preseason has been they've soured on Pettis as well but I think it's a perfect time to to get some Dante Pettis because I think he's going to have a, a, a nice season. The fact that he's probably going to be the team's wide receiver one. I know Kittle should lead the team in targets. He's a primary focus. But, but even so, going as the wide receiver 45 is uh, a bit hard to justify. He was going highs in the 70s range before all the sort of uh, panic happened. And obviously, his stock has fallen, obviously, with Kyle Shannon sort of roasting him and him not having the best camp. I was really high on Trent Taylor. I thought he could... Uh, have a better season, but unfortunately he's uh, been injured. He's going to miss the first couple of weeks. But I'm still about Marquise Goodwin too. Um, wide receiver eight in weeks 13 to 17 with Jimmy G when he got traded. He's going drafted very late, sort of wide receiver 66, 168. So he's basically he's basically for free. He's basically cheap. Um, yeah. Give me just give me any one of them really. Um, all of them are going really late. Pettis is the only guy I sort of waver on just because that's where my man Larry Fitzgerald's going. Um, but yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot of these um, wide receivers in San Francisco are going to perform 
I don't think Devo Samuel, just because he's a rookie, same with Jalen Hurd. He had a good sort of start to the preseason, but unfortunately hurt his back, and he's um, with Trent Taylor on the sidelines. But yeah, give me Marquise Goodman. See, I've, I think they're going to limit Goodwin too much. It's been reported a few times with his durability concerns. They want him to be explosive and that and effective when he comes on the field, which will mean using him less. Now, whether that eventuates, we'll, you know, we'll wait and see. But I do like him as a you know last-round pick in best ball leagues, something like that, I, I, because it's going to be hard to predict when he goes off, but he does have that capability. And you know, sprinkling in some DFS tournament lineups as well. In terms of Pettis, and you mentioned Larry Fitz there, you know, two, two candidates I really like if you're going for a, a zero-wide receiver type build this year. You, know, you go heavy on, on your running backs in the, in the first few rounds, grab a stud tight end, and then you start to build, build out your wide receiver grouping. And, and Larry Fitzgerald and, and Dante Pettis could be two targets that you, you, you're getting around the 100, 110 10 range there and feel, feel confident putting them in your, your, your flexes. That's for sure. Absolutely. Especially, yeah, they're both going to be wide receiver ones. Um, they're both going to be used a lot with their, uh, by their quarterback and, they're on great offenses, and I'm not too sure why they're getting drafted so late. But you know what? It's better for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the reason why they're getting drafted so late is just reaction, overreaction to, to what's been going on in the preseason. It happens every single year. People shoot up draft boards. People come down draft boards. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 like, I like both of those guys. Yeah. Let's talk about George Kittle. Obviously, broke out last year and became the tight end three. He's joined that sort of upper tier class with... Uh, Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey. Uh, with all these sort of wide receivers coming out and sort of Tevin Coleman coming in, taking away his targets, do you expect uh, George Kittle to have a good year like he did last year? Yep, I do. Simple. He's going to be the primary focus of the, the offense. He's got big playability, great yards after catch. He's a monstrous blocker. You know, They said they want to reduce his snaps a little bit, but... You know, if he's on the field 80% of the time, it's still a, a great uh, involvement level for him. Can see him pretty comfortably being the wide, uh, excuse me, the tight end, tight end to this season, which is where he's being drafted. Uh, it's going to be hard to get much ret- return on on him there. But having said that, you lock down a position which is pretty difficult with an with an absolute stud who's going to score like a wide receiver. And as I mentioned earlier. And uh, it was brought up on the late round podcast by JJ Zacharyson that he has due some serious, serious touchdown, uh, positive touchdown regression this year as well, uh, especially given his usage inside the red zone. So you, you might see a couple more touchdowns from from Kittle this season, which should offset any, you know, a, a few targets being taken away from him for some of these other guys, and um, some of those monstrous plays that you had as well, the ninety yard touchdown runs and things like that. Hard to replicate year on year so really like George Kittle this season no tight end in the past two years has gained more yards per route run than George Kittle so I am not high on him this year just because I do think they missed a lot of games with Pierre Garçon Marcus Goodwin and Dante Pettis last year I think they missed a combined of 17 games they've also added yeah two rookie wide receivers and they've got Tevin Coleman too I just don't think he's, the target's going to be there for him. Yes, he's probably going to score more touchdowns, but I do think that where he's getting drafted is way too high for me. He's getting drafted at 30. Um, I'd rather be drafting a sort of a second running back or a second wide receiver. Yeah, I prefer Travis Kelsey because, you know, week in and week out, he's going to perform for you. And I just don't really feel comfortable drafting George Kittle that high. Fair enough. I've, I've got some Kittle shares this season. I'm very high on him. 
Uh, a bold, real bold strategy if you want to get want to get weird with it. You can go and draft Travis Kelsey, jam him in your flex spot. Go and draft George Kittle, lock down that tight end position as well. Uh, really corner the market on tight ends in your league, uh, which was a successful strategy in a lot of best ball leagues last year. But yeah, I love George Kittle. I think he's an absolute monster. He's going to be one of the you know top three, top five fantasy tight ends for for many years to come as part of Shanahan's offense. So. Look forward to seeing him dominate in 2019 and, and beyond. I also don't think, sorry, I also don't think the San Francisco defense is going to be great. I know they've added some pieces, but you know, Nick Bosa can't seem to stay healthy. And you know, they're, they're Richard Sherman's 100 years old. And uh, D Ford, I don't think is particularly, you know. Not a fan of Juan Alexander? Quite, he's he's okay, but he's not he's not great in in coverage. So there's a reason why Tampa Bay wanted you know let him go. So and they were a horrible defense yeah. last year. I just don't think that Quan Alexander is a huge needle mover for the for the whole defense. Look, it could be better than last season, but I still think they're going to end up in some negative game scripts as well. Is there any defense that you like this year in this <laughs> NFC West? Uh, yeah, Seahawks. I do like the Seahawks defense. They just came to see. Keep adding talent there. Obviously, they just brought in Jadavion Clowney, which which helps. Um, so I like what they're they're doing there. Uh, so yeah, they probably be my probably be my favorite defense. Cardinals should never be started ever. Oh, <laughs> and the, Ra- the Cardinals, and the Rams the Rams the problem with the Rams is they've got some talent on defense, but teams are just forced into shootouts with them because of the way their offense is. And we saw last year they gave up a lot of points, and they actually won a great fantasy asset. I really want to start the Cardinals defense when I play you in the Listener League now. I really want to do it. <laughs> Please, go ahead. Make my day. All right, we'll do. Make my day. I want to beat you with the Cardinals defense. Well, anyway, Lewis, that will do it for the NFC West. Tune there in, we go. Tune in next time where we'll have the final two teams with the Minnesota Vikings and Chicago Bears, the NFC North. And also, don't forget about our week one preview, which is going to be on Saturday. Absolutely. We're going to be putting that out live on Facebook, hopefully Twitter as well. I'm releasing the podcast, so look out for that. That'll be shared across all the Vault Studio socials, uh, Fantasy Football Down Under socials as well. So keep an eye out for that and, and get involved in the week one show. Absolutely. Well, Lewis, until next time, I'll see you later. Absolutely, mate. Talk to you next time. Yeah. Hey, hit records on my demo. Did y'all boys not get the? Me-